A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. My name is Kevin Garcia, and welcome to episode 20, uh, where I, I, first of all, I can't believe that, like, it, I'm already at episode 20, that's, you know, uh, you know, a qu- almost a quarter of the way to 100 episodes, and like, what are we going to be at 100 episodes? That's going to be nuts, um, because I don't plan on quitting this anytime soon, and I don't know. I had this thought today when I was waking up about how I didn't want to work, because uh, like, I will tell you this, my biggest problem in my life is that I'm lazy, not even joking, I can I guarantee you that I'm probably the laziest person you've ever met in your life, but what is so cool about creativity is that once I sit down to it, once I start doing the work, I actually end up falling in love with it every single time. It gives me so much more than I put into it, and so... 2017, the year of actually getting shit done and feeling good about getting shit done. Cool things that have happened for me. I started doing yoga and actually joined a yoga studio um, and my body is very sore right now. And this weekend I'm trying out my first hot yoga class, which I'm all, I'm very excited about. Um, I'm excited about sweating my brains out slash I'd really like to sweat off like, you know, a couple pounds before I go on this cruise in February with my friends. Which, yes, you can be jealous that I'm going on a cruise in the middle of February. Um, and shout out to whoever um, bought that for me, because I didn't pay for all of it. There was an angel somewhere in the world who paid ha- for half of my cruise, and that's pretty great. Anyways, uh, other fun stuff um, that I wanted to share with you. I'm applying to seminary right now, and that is scary for me because I haven't been back in... I've been out of school for uh, close to five years now, and so to put my writing down in some sort of academic way and trying to form actually formal thoughts instead of like all the blog posts and having to support my thoughts with research. Um, A little scary for me, but also I think it's going to be a great step in my own educational journey, in my professional journey. Um, I'm kind of leaning into this call that I felt since I was really young about being a pastor. And I I don't know what this looks like or how it's going to play out. Because I've told y'all before, like, I already feel like I do pastor, like, you know, in a way, the people who listen to this podcast and the people who read my blog. um, I'm already a pastor and a teacher. It's it's not a matter of vocation or ordination or even getting an MDiv. It's just who I am. So, um, but now I'm just kind of pursuing this in a formal way. And it's it's really exciting for me. So if you could be praying for me... um, for scholarship money, because I certainly need it. Otherwise, this isn't going to happen. And if you could be praying for me for clarity to where I'm supposed to end up, I have a feeling that I'm supposed to stay in Atlanta, but I, I'm going to stay open to wherever the spirit moves and whatever the spirit's doing. So fun update from me. Thanks for listening to that part. Um, and also, one thing I think is crazy is having to write this autobiographical statement which was like the prompt was tell us about you tell us about your life tell us about all of the things that you have done with your life and then on top of that we want you to tell you tell us about your call to ministry and why our school and do it in four pages or less double spaced and you know some people might say that i'm long-winded i would like to think it's the breath of god in me 
Um, but uh, let's just say it's a little, uh, a little hard to do that. So pray for brevity in my words, if you could help me out and maybe that'll even happen on the podcast one day. Anyways, that's enough for personal announcements, uh, travel and speaking schedule stuff. I am currently working with people at Christopher Newport University to book an event in the spring semester. I am still looking to create other events around the country. No matter who you are, whether you're a community event organizer or you're part of a church or a university and you're looking for someone to come in and do a workshop on everything from creative living to sexuality and faith, I would love to come and partner with you to create an event that would be perfect for you. So go to thekevingarcia.com slash speaking and let's get in touch and get the ball rolling on this because I'd rather book this out sooner rather than later. So we can ensure that uh, we can hang out and do something really cool. So on to today's podcast. Today I'm going to be featuring a recent conversation I had with a friend of mine, the fantastic and wonderful Brett Trapp. If you have heard of a blog called Blue Babies Pink, you know already who I'm talking about. But if not, let me tell you about this amazing man who I'm privileged to call a friend. Uh, Brett Trapp is the creator of Blue Babies Pink, a 44-episode Southern coming-out story. Towards the end of 2016, Brett told his story of growing up gay in the Christian South one post at a time for 44 days straight. Um, no pun intended with that one. <laughs> um, about like 50,000 people showed up just in the 44 days that he was writing, and that is incredible. It's beautifully written and it's reached so many humans across the u.s and the world as brett started blue babies pink he transitioned out of his career which was 11 years in the corporate world and began work as a consultant writer speaker and currently lives in atlanta's historic cabbage town neighborhood he believes in the power of storytelling leadership good design sec football chick-fil-a taylor swift tarantino movies and c.s lewis he's an infp which is the reason he and i i think get along so well because i'm an enfp one thing i really like about brett is he's very aware of his privilege as a white male in america and i can say he's probably one of the few men that i can stand being around without wanting to critique literally everything about him he's so self-aware he knows that he has so much room to grow and is always constantly looking for feedback on how he can grow. And that's something I really love about him and am learning to do myself because of him. He is a self-professing Jesus person and serves on the board of directors for Beloved Atlanta and Alpha Tau Omega Fraternity. Um, am I leaving anything out? IDK. But if I did miss anything, you'll hear about it during our conversation. So grab a glass of whatever you prefer. Settle in for this brilliant conversation with my friend, Brett Trapp. Yeah, so um, it was a project I launched at the end of 2016. Um, yeah, I guess it's a blog, you could call it, or a website, but it was sort of designed to be a, a start and stop, beginning, middle, end story. Mm -hmm. um, sort of loosely inspired by the serial format of um, sort of leading people through a journey. You know, one of my thoughts was watching other people come out, um, you know, in their own different and unique ways. Everybody's is different. Everybody's story is different. One thing that I observed was, you know, a lot of times people, they came out and then they just moved on, mm -hmm. you know, not really giving the people they grew up with the chance to sort of walk with them through all those years. You know, I was super mm -hmm. late yeah, in life yeah. when I came out. I came out. You say you were ladylike when you came out? No. <laughs> late in life. Late in life. Late in not ladylike. Not ladylike. I was very dainty the way I came out. It was very <laughs> secret. Very just like, here it is. It's no. Lady. Late in life. So <laughs> in, into my 30s. I mean, I began coming out to friends, you know, like... I guess in my late 20s, but 
officially shouted it to the world um, at the age of 34. So um, so really, I want to just give the people I grew up with, I grew up in a small town in North Alabama, a great little city called Florence. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, and I really wanted to give those people from my church the chance to just hear all of the um, all of the stuff I've been through, sort of just dealing with this silently as so many LGBT people have done. Sort of the metaphor in my mind was, um, it's almost like when you come out, it's like you're on the, the 35th floor of a tall building. Mm-hmm. And and you're like, here I am, world, check me out. Here's what's going on. And then and then you kind of move on and you keep going up, right? Up mm-hmm. kind of on with your life. But my whole thing was like, I want to give the ch- a chance for people to like hear about those other floors, you know, mm-hmm. like what was on floor seven? What was on floor 15? Like, you know, all those different years of life, uh, what was happening Mm-hmm. in my life silently, you know, with this whole journey. So so Blue Baby's Pink was really my attempt to sort of catalyze that whole story into one consistent narrative, mm-hmm. literally starting, you know, middle school, high school, I think it starts all the way up almost to present time. So um, that was sort of the initial thought by the project. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did read it. I'm a BBP completer. You read the whole thing? Yes. Nice. I'm impressed. It's, a, it's like a book. It's, like, it's the length of a book. It is. Yeah. It is very, very... And also, it's, de- it's so... I won't say it's dense. I'll say it's it's compelling, but like you definitely have to wrap your head around the fullness of every single thing. And for me, I'm sitting there just thinking, yep, been there, yep, been there. Um, I always think it's very interesting how different... like. Uh, how different coping mechanisms we use as closeted queer people. Because mm-hmm. I remember we kind of did the same thing. Your thing was you, you like became like a workaholic, and it was almost just like if I can make myself pour myself into my work, like I'm never going to be lonely. And then you realize, oh wait, that's not the thing. How it works. Yeah, that's what I'm, I reference in the in the, the story a lot. The book Velvet Rage, which is sort of what I call a gay man's Bible. Uh, <laughs> A lot of LGBT people have found a lot of, uh, you know, guidance or joy, whatever you call it, out of that book. But he talks about how so many LGBT people, they use, you know, they have a coping mechanism of choice. And for a lot of people, it's achievement, you know, Mm -hmm. or career. And so that's a big part of Blue Baby's Pink is me just talking through my attempts at running from all my pain, all my shame, all the stuff that's going on in my head by just working my ass off, Mm -hmm. you know. 14, 16 hours a day because dealing with that was easier than dealing with Your the heart. demons. Yeah, the demons you go to bed with at night. So that's definitely a big theme in Blue Baby's Pink for sure. Mm-hmm. So the toughest episode uh, was definitely episode 11. Um, and it's where I talk about my dad dying. My dad died mm-hmm. when I was 19, uh, passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. And um, at that time, I was a freshman in college. Um, he had been sick for three years. We had put together this incredible sort of prayer movement at our little Southern Baptist church of, you know, we had grandma's praying and we had bumper stickers that said, pray for brother Bill. It was what they called my dad. Um, we had a prayer chain where people were praying 24 hours a day. And so we were believing for a miracle. We really felt like God was leading us to, to pray for dad's healing and that he was going to be healed of this disease that no one has ever healed from. There's no treatment. There's no cure from Lou Gehrig's. And so episode 11 is just me sort of talking about the day he died as a 19 year old and then and then reflecting on all of the amazing things I remember about him. And so I just kind of go through memories that I had with him growing up of, 
you know, playing sports or watching him preach at church or whatever it is. And so I literally, I wrote that at my house and just absolutely wept my face off. I mean, because, you know, it's been 16 years since he passed away, but you, you don't realize that a lot of times that emotion goes dormant. And when you call that emotion up, mm-hmm. boy, it comes with a vengeance. And so I just had to get up from my computer multiple times and just sort of pace around my loft, catching my breath as I wrote yeah. it. So super, super tough, but also kind of healing. So not all bad. So I grew up, again, super traditional Southern Baptist, Mm -hmm. Alabama through and through. You know, we weren't like a small country church. We were in a, you know, in a decent sized city. The church had, you know, a thousand or two thousand members. So it was one of the bigger churches in town, Mm -hmm. but extremely traditional Southern Baptist in every sense of of um, that denomination. So, but I became a believer um, through a charismatic revival that happened at the Brownsville Assembly of God down in Pensacola, Florida. And that happened over the course of like maybe five years, late 90s, early 2000s. And it was really this incredible move of God where, you know, a lot of interesting things happened. A lot of um, miracles happened. It was a really special time. And so for me, that's where my faith was born, sort of out of this tradition of just passion and worship. You know, late 90s, that was when the kind of modern worship movement was really taking off with bands right. like Delirious. I think maybe Hillsong got their start around. Delirious. You haven't heard Delirious in a while. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone drop that name. Oh in a man, uh, Delirious was my jam back in the day. <laughs> I could sing "If Your Love Forever," the Happy Song, uh, a lot of those good classics. So no, I can um, sing "If Your Love." I still pull that out at, when I'm leading worship. I'm not even joking. It never gets old. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healers set me free. Never That's gets a old. good line. It's a good line. It never gets old. I can sing "If Your Love Forever," and then you just repeat on that. Repeat <laughs> on that. That's a that's, let it loop. That's a word. That's a word <laughs> of the Lord. It absolutely is. You're right. So. So, yeah, I mean, once Dad died, to to answer your question, how did my faith shift? You know, when Dad passed away, I mean, to be honest, it was fairly devastating to my faith. Of course. Only because we had fixated so much on this idea of a miracle, healing. He's going to, you know, you know, even at the funeral, I was like, maybe it's going to be a resurrection and maybe he's going to come out of his casket. And, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, really was thinking that the day of his funeral. And so... Um, so you know what it was it was super tough and I was sort of in a, a tailspin faith wise for several years and it really wasn't until a couple years later in college um, where I met a guy who worked for a ministry called Campus Outreach and he introduced me to reform theology and sort of the idea of the sovereignty of God and and that kind of helped me put that whole situation in context of you know we don't really have a right to twist God's arm we can try and there's of course the the parable of the persistent widow but the end of the day, God's going to do what he's going to do, and we need to learn to make peace with that. Mm-hmm. And when you do make peace with that and you understand that that's, you know, that is a reality of this world we live in, it just helps you not worry about as much stuff. And it you know, kind of brings you back to just the base level elements of your faith, which are trusting in an invisible God and believing that he's there and that his word is true, you know, even through sort of the storms of life. So what? Got really deep. That's sorry. what we do here. <laughs> Why are you sorry? You know I don't do surface level with people. That was, that was, that was it. We went, we went deep. We'll deep dive. Yeah, come on. Getting, we're just getting started. Oh, yeah, you didn't want to do deep dive theology, did you? <laughs> I just no, think it's we so, can. It's great. I just love waxing poetic about what we don't know. Yeah, and that's such a part of my faith now is there's just so much I don't know. Mm-hmm. And the, the certainty of my youth is no more, you know. 
I grew up in some some circles and some traditions where certainty was the ultimate goal. And certainty we, was the gospel. That was the gospel. And if we dig and read enough concordances and study enough Greek, <laughs> we can come to a certain, you know, uh, translation-proof, perfected understanding of the ways of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we treat the Bible like a scientific textbook with mathematic formulas that can be perfectly ascertained, when in reality, I don't think faith is that way at all. So. Mm. The greatest mystery in the entirety of our human psyche, like, or like even like the mystics say that you cannot understand God. God cannot be known, only experienced. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, you're right. Because anytime I think that I understand God, anytime that I think that I learn more of the ways of God, it's only scratch, not even scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you've brushed the hem of the garment. Yeah, yeah. You've and just seen one tiny sliver of. Of what's there. Yeah, even if that. So. If that. Yeah. I'm just like, I can never know God. But at the mm-hmm. same time, God knows me. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's good. And I think there's also like a, an additional part to that. It's like the more that I know myself, the more I come closer to who I am supposed to be, the closer I come to God. Mm. Because, you know, if I am created in the divine image of God, it means that that's there. And everything else is just stacked on top of it. Like, my personality, my fears, my ego, it's all just like stacked up mm-hmm. over over top. And just like, I think a lot of the work that we do as spiritual people and as Christians is to just uncover those things. Mm-hmm. You know, like what is keeping me from being closer to God? And also ask the question, what am I doing? Or what is what what things exist in the world that are keeping people from engaging with, you know, the divine in them? Mm-hmm. You know, what like whether it's poverty uh, racial inequality, sexism, yada, yada, yada. What is keeping them from experiencing more of God? And what can I do to be a person to alleviate that obstruction? It's really good. Yeah, I'll, there's uh, one of the fathers, one of the ancient fathers of the faith, I think his name was Irenaeus or Irenaeus, but it's we've heard it a million times. If you've been around the Christian world, the glory of God is man fully alive. Mm. And I, when I was younger, I didn't understand that quote. I thought it was kind of silly. I thought it was some abstraction. But like the older I get, the more real that feels and seems and the more mm-hmm. uh, sense it makes. The idea of when we are, you know, leaning into Christ and at the same time sort of discovering and uncovering the person that we are, that we're made to be, that then sets loose, you know, sets forth a, a life in us. Yes. And when that gets released, then we give our full unabashed, unfearful selves to the world. And that's when, you know, stuff starts to happen. And my story is one of obviously a ton of struggle, a lot of fear and a lot of shame, but Jesus was always there sort of through this closeted process into my thirties. You know, Um, I never doubted him, you know, blue baby's pink. I talk about, you know, I went through different seasons of doubt where I doubted people. I doubted preachers. I doubted the Christian subculture, Christian music, theology, you know, um, so lots of doubt, but I've never doubted Jesus. Mm. And to me, the person of Christ can never be questioned. You know, he's universally sort of respected and admired um, as a teacher, if nothing else, if you're not a person of faith. And so 
Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I was so saddled, as many closeted LGBT people are, with shame, mm-hmm. with fear, with all of these different things. And if that is inside of you, if that is on your shoulders when you wake up in the morning, it is absolutely going to affect everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to live a different life. And that's that's the prime example of living, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's a great example of unfully alive. Yeah. Half alive. 10% alive, whatever you want to call it, or completely dead, whatever it may be, is when you walk into the world carrying a thousand pounds of shame on your shoulders. Um, you can barely do anything else. Right. It's going to color and it's going to inform every single decision, action, and word, you know, action you make and word that you say. And so, you know, I, I have this image, uh, my brain works in kind of images and metaphors, but at some point, sort of in the closeted process, I had this image of just myself with a chain tied around one of my ankles and a gigantic thousand pound gorilla on there in that chain. And it's like my secret and my shame is like, I'm pulling around this gorilla everywhere that I go. Nobody can see it, but me, mm-hmm. but he's always there. He's always big. He's always scary. He's always kind of growling, you know, in the corner, always taking um, up your space, taking up my space. He's, you know, I'm just constantly in the shadow of this gigantically scary, uh, hairy, unknown thing. And so for me, the beauty of coming out, um, you know, was just sort of cutting that chain and just mm-hmm. getting on with life because a lot of people, you know, right. they never get there and it's super, super sad. I'm a- One temptation, I feel like a lot of like um, young LGBT people feel, maybe like when they, like, I don't know if this is everyone, maybe I'm making a generalization, but I feel like they feel like their coming out story or their story in general is this thing that's like, oh, well, my, my story is not like Blue Baby's Pink mm-hmm. or my story is not like Kevin Garcia's story or like, or like the Bishop Gene Robinson or anybody of these big coming out stories. And like, and I'll be really, I'm like, I'm a second tier blogger, you know, I've got 1400 subscribers. Like, you know, I reach a good amount of people, mm-hmm. but like, I'm no keynote at a conference <laughs> yet. Yeah. But still, there was one woman in her 60s who encountered my story and had her story changed because of it. Yep. And I think that's the most gratifying part of like this kind of work of telling our story is because we don't know who the hell is reading our stuff, but we know that somebody who needs it is getting it. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a big believer in you know the idea of micro-influence. You know, mm-hmm. We get so fixated, unrightly so, on all, you know, like you said, the big names and this and that, platforms, mm-hmm. and... I just think we need more people obsessed with having a powerful influence on a small number of people. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, when I wrote this story, Blue Baby's Pink, there were, you know, about 50,000 people came to the site over the course of two months. A couple thousand people subscribed to the story every day. But I received hundreds of messages Mm -hmm. from people deeply impacted by the story. And it's funny, like in the first two sentences, they would always say the same thing. I don't know you, but our stories are mm-hmm. frighteningly similar, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so what we need is more people raising their hand up saying, this is me, this is my story. Because when you do that, it's going to pull other people into who, who connect with various levels of your story. The number of gay preacher's kids that emailed me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable how many gay preacher's kids are out there because they found out about it and they connected with that story. Whereas if I had gone broad and gone big, you know, that might not have happened. But every single person has a unique story. Mm-hmm. And the more you can put that out there, whether that's, you know, just you talking to friends, a podcast, a blog, whatever it may be, um, it's going to be, you know, sort of a, a healing salve. 
you know, it's, it's like different types of antibiotics and medicines, right? You use different mm-hmm. kinds of medicines to treat different kinds of, of ailments. And so mm-hmm. our shame and our sin and our crap is a, is a specific formulated ailment. Mm-hmm. And somebody else out there has, has the right formula for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times you're not going to find that on the shelves of your local Christian bookstore. It's going to come through a Kevin Garcia, through a Brett Trapper, through a listener of this podcast. So. You better come through. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, and I think what's very interesting too is like you and I could have easily just not done this. And then, and I'm not saying this as a matter of like patting ourselves on the back, but to say two things. One, what a privilege it is to partner with God mm-hmm. for the things that we get to do and reach and accomplish. Like, I'm not expe- like I don't. I do this work. I started it on my blog. Like trying not to have expectations for what it could be. That it could just be like. I get a couple hundred readers and it never goes past that. But what I see more than anything is that like the gospel story that we told or are getting to continuously tell with our lives is the gospel that someone else needs to hear. Mm -hmm. And it is the healing that somebody needs to experience because oftentimes people will often say just like, I thought I was the only one. Because I feel like fear and shame as much as it is um, a thousand pound gorilla, I think it also like has, it puts blinders on us, you know? Uh-huh. And yeah. it, it, yeah. it felt like we're, we can only focus so much on just like surviving the day to day sometimes that we, we never, like we're trudging on pulling this, you know, carrying this secret cross on our shoulder. But then like, if we stop, look around, we can see like, Oh, I have other people who are just like me in the same mess and the same crap. You know, you think that you're the only one. And like the truth is like, while your story is very nuanced, there's some theme, like there are so many me too moments that can happen when we just slow down, take a breath and look around. Mm. Yeah. I heard somebody, they called it, um, the gift of going second. And then this was a concept that somebody mm. else wrote about. It's not original to me, but you know, I had a reader write in and tell me, Brett, you're giving people the gift of going second. Mm-hmm. When you step out in boldness, when you step out and you, put, yes. you know, you step out on that scary ledge and you put your hand up and say, Hey, here I am. Look at me. Here's my story. It emboldens somebody else to do the same thing. Yes, and people, and and people. right. And the bottom line is, all of us are the beneficiaries. We've all gone second to somebody else, mm-hmm. right? None of us are true pioneers or revolutionaries. Um, and so that's a particular kind of grace, I think, is when somebody else kind of blazes a trail for you in some small way, and it gives you the strength and courage mm-hmm. to kind of forge your own path. What's been? Um, I guess, like, you know, I love I love asking about difficult things because those are the most interesting things. What's been uh, with, like, old family and friends um, engaging with the story? What's been uh, the general reaction there? Yeah, so the reaction was, you know, surprisingly good. I mean, everybody sort of in my hometown that I grew up with in some way heard about the story because, you know, all of us are very familiar with sort of the, the gossip mill of small towns, and a lot of us lived in fear of that for many years, as I did. And so I just kind of came to a point where I said, I'm going to just harness the power of the gossip mill, and I'm going to give them uh, the story straight from the horse's mouth and let them sort of spread it for me. So once word kind of got out that I'd started Blue Baby's Pink, people began to read, and then I began to get lots and lots of emails. And I was bracing for the worst. You know, I think when you're closeted, you just play out these nightmare apocalyptic scenarios mm-hmm. of when I come out, everybody's going to reject me, and they're going to talk about me, and all these terrible things are going to happen. And I do think that happens, you know, no, it does. quite frequently. Gonna, I'll um, that. Yeah, it totally happens. Um, I just made the decision to say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of make peace with that. I'm going to accept mm-hmm. that it is what it is. And I'm just going to let the let the cards fall where they may. And so mm. 
when those messages started rolling in, they were surprisingly gracious. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of a couple different buckets you can put them in. There are the the pro gay rah rah folks who are like, "Great job, you do oh, you." Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, they're like fist pumping and waving rainbow flags, which I love. Those people, they're a lot of fun. <clears throat> then you have sort of the um, sort of the nuanced Christian conservative crowd who. You know, like they may not, they don't agree with you per se, but they're going to be gracious. They're going to be loving. They're going to thank you for sharing your story and being honest and telling a story to the world. And like, I have no problem with those people. Tons of them reached out and said hello. Um, Then you've got the people or the ones that I heard from who were not really angry and mad. I didn't have anybody who just wrote me a super angry, pissed off, hateful email, but definitely people who were like, very concerned. Very concerned, and they're worried. And it's like, um, brother, you've been on my heart recently. Exactly. Like, <clears throat> right. They, they, and and you know, I don't have a problem with these people either. I my philosophy is, as long as you're communicating in a respectful, positive way, I will give you the exact same thing in oh, return. For sure. You know, like so. If you disagree, if you disagree sincerely, but you're kind and thoughtful and considerate about it, <clears throat> we have no problem with each other. Oh yeah. So. To answer your question, it just wasn't the fallout that I was expecting never came. Mm-hmm. You know, even after doing this, writing this this project for two months, getting hundreds and hundreds of messages, um, you know, I was really surprised and pleased. And keep in mind, I grew up in a very conservative town in Alabama. And so for me, that's sort of uh, a good indicator of where we are mm-hmm. as a society and where the church has moved on this topic, where we've lessened and lowered a little bit of that super emotional, taboo nature to a point where, though we still might not agree— People are engaging in mostly civilized dialogue. Granted, these were people that knew me growing up and had a relationship with me, um, but it was surprisingly good. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the key in that whole phrase is like, I had a relationship with these people or have a present relationship with these people. The thing that always blows my mind, and I'm sure you've experienced, like, is the person who you don't know them from anywhere on the internet, but you either get an email, a message, a Facebook comment, a, Twitter, a tweet, um, or a comment on your blog that. You know, it's like, you really don't know me. You don't know my work. You don't know my story. And yet you're going to continue to lecture me about my experience. And I'm just like, good God. Like, I don't have time for you. We don't. We don't have time for that. I'm a big believer that your emotional energy is one of the most precious resources you have. Preach. Just don't even invest. Don't respond. You know, it's... It's just this, exactly, yeah. It's just trolls, and they're just—they're not—they don't deserve any of your time. Again, if somebody wants to have a respectful dialogue, I'll talk all day, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, no time for for trolls. So I mean, I had one guy, uh, you know, I did get some messages from random people who did not know me, which I love those as well. But this one guy who was kind of negative and luxury, you know, he said, "Brett, I, you're—I don't think you're really gay. <laughs> I think you know, I think you're confused." Yes. You know, because your dad died at a pivotal time in your life, oh, no. I think you're confused Repair about that. theology right there. Then he said, besides, the gays wouldn't want you. But snap, snap, snap. Exactly. One, By we can only call ourselves the gays, first of all. <laughs> That's our word. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So it was, wow. a, it was definitely a by Felicia moment, but um, <laughs> it was funny. I just, you know... I decided early on I'm just not going to get super worked up about these kinds yeah. of things. And, you know, and I think that's a healthier way to respond. That is – that's something I have to learn um, because uh, I, I'm i learning more about my eightness as an eight on the Enneagram. I thought I was a seven <laughs> for so long. 
But now I'm realizing that I have an eight with a very strong seven wing. Okay. okay. And maybe like a little bit of a nine wing. Um, but mostly it's like, I just want to fight everyone online. Like yesterday, woo! And today a little bit. Um, I've got, and I just got back from GCN. So like, I feel empowered to do all the things and fight all the fights. But um, this one thing I continually like have to realize is just that like for my beautifully crafted two hundred word response <laughs> on Facebook uh-huh. does nothing for the person I'm trying to uh, convince, and like and then my and then I have to remember like why do I care if this person thinks the way I do? Why do I care if this person even has an opinion of me? I don't know them. I don't need to know them. I don't need their validation or their response. God has already done that for me. Mm-hmm. Chill. Yeah. And when I can when I can get zoomed out of that, and when I can zoom out of my ego, when I can just like like really think I was like, oh rather than spending my energy on people that are causing me frustration, I can spend less energy through loving people who actually need it. You know? They're they're so like I'm like I don't want to waste my time on all these people who are here to try and win a contest of being right. I don't really care about being right. I care about being whole. Yeah. And I care about yeah. saving people's lives. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I'm here for them. And if I'm going... They're, these people who come after us for speaking our truth, they are simply a distraction. 100%. <sighs> totally. I agree. Spend your emotional energy on, on people who want it, who are listening, who are, you know, kind of standing there open-handed and not on not on jerks and trolls. They're just, you know, it's not worth it. So I launched Blue Baby's Pink in 2016, but I actually started sort of writing it in 2008. And so for eight years, I basically sort of journaled all of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions of being closeted and all of the shame and all of the stuff I was dealing with. And so over the course of eight years, I basically created a 25,000 word journal, for lack of a better term. It was actually an Evernote because Evernote's awesome. Um, This is not an endorsement. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not a sponsor. Unless they want Unless to be. Unless you're listening. That's hey, right. Reach oh out. KevinGarcia.com. And BlueBabiesPink.com. Whoa. Official tour sponsors of the... There you go. Blue Babies Pink Tour. So, anyways, what really I just kind of had this sense early on of like, Brett, you want to remember this stuff. I'm just a big believer. We forget so much. Yeah. Our memories are so flawed and weak. And so I just made a decision starting in 08 to just start chronicling everything. Mm-hmm. Every thought, every story... You know, when I'd hear a friend say something kind of homophobic offhand, I would write that down. Um, When I would have, you know, one of those sleepless nights where you're crying yourself to sleep and all the Mm -hmm. attendant thoughts with that, I wrote it all down. And so that really became the framework and the outline for the Blue Baby's Pink story. Mm -hmm. And so this is something I'm big on because, you know, a lot of people listening to this, you're going to be so much more whole and healthier than you are right now. Mm. And I said that to myself. I think 10 years from now, I'm going to be infinitely more healthy and whole than I am now. But I don't want to forget where I was. Yeah. Because I'm in a great place now. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel happier, more joyful. I'm out of the closet. I'm no longer kind of carrying around that shame. But I didn't want to forget mm-hmm. all of those dark and sleepless nights because you will forget. And so it actually became a really, you know, it's sad, but it became a really detailed chronicle of all those dark seasons. And again, a lot of, there's some stuff that happened that we want to forget. 
But a lot of it you want to remember because then you can repurpose that. That becomes part of your story. That's what you tell the world. And that becomes the thing that people cling to that gives them hope Mm -hmm. to say, wow, what you're describing is exactly where I am. And that gives them hope to press through it, you know, to believe that things will get better. So Mm -hmm. write it down, write down everything, write down all your thoughts. You never know how, how God could use it. Not to mention you could come out with Pink Baby's Blue. Don't do that. The sequel. Blue Baby's Pink. Season two. Season two, Electric Blue Blue. <laughs> right? No. Yeah. No. That, that, the season one is it. No, no more. I'm not a miniseries. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. That's good. And I think what's cool about that is, I mean, that's just, that's just Jesus right there mm-hmm. about, you know, he, I, for I chose the, the, the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I would take that a step further to say to say the broken things of the world to create better things. Yeah. It's like, I feel like m- my story too, it's like, I look back on all this stuff. Like I, even, I look back through some of my journals and it's like all these different broken bits that I thought were useless. You know, I feel like if anything, God put them into a fire, melted it all down and I came out with yeah something more precious wow. than yeah. I even thought possible. And I could, I think also on top of that, journaling, journaling, writing, remembering where you come from, it's so much easier to go back, like, when you're being introspective and really mm-hmm. ask the question, like, when you've gotten to a, a place of more emotional health and, for, for me, like, it was pretty necessary to have that, like, to reflect over my story, even, like, even the, the hard details of my story, to see where God was and everything. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like there's a lot of times like you almost, you know, I don't want to like put meaning on suffering because sometimes suffering is meaningless and it just is because people are flawed and screwed up in the, the world we live in. But it's almost just, it's kind of like what you said. Your, your greatest pain then becomes your greatest memory or no, I'm sorry, ministry. So I'm trying your greatest pain becomes your greatest ministry yeah. in the, in all those places you now have space to hold other people yeah. who have been through and are going through the same thing as you. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're putting it out on the internet or whether you encounter somebody in the line of Kroger because it, there's bold moments all over the place that we can... There's moments all, all the time when we can be bold yeah. in sharing those little broken bits that we have. Um, because maybe those broken bits are the missing piece for somebody else. 100%. Ooh, yeah. write that That's down. That'll preach. That'll preach. I will preach. Yeah, I mean, there was times when I was like looking back on some of those notes, you know, from 2009, 2010, and I'm reading what I wrote, and I'm literally thinking, who is this person? Right, right. Like, about, like there's no way I wrote that, because that's a different version of me. You know, it's like... You're on, you know, we're using an iPhone 7 and I'm looking at like the first iPhone and like, look at the, look at the evolution. Mm -hmm. And like, that's an old sort of dated version of me that I can barely even comprehend that that's the place that I was in in life because things are so much different and because things are so much better. And to me, that's the beauty of life. It's the beauty Mm -hmm. of growth. It's the beauty of, you know, whatever you want to call it, sanctification, your walk with God. But the bottom line is where you are now is not where you will be. Um, if you, you know, if you begin to take the steps to get healthy, get whole, Mm -hmm. surround yourself with community and healthy people, because I'm convinced that's, that's how you get through, um, Mm -hmm. you know, those storms of life. So 
That's so important too. I talk about talk about this on the blog quite frequently. Like, you know, when you're in the coming out process, or like when you're like starting to think about the coming out process, like one really needs to remember prepare yourself in the as much as you can, um, because when you are able to prepare yourself, um, like through community, through your tribe, through your um, just like building up yourself and like having that, that ground to stand on, you're going to be able to transition a lot more fully into the person you are rather than always trying to like kind of backpedaling in a way. Um, cause I feel like coming out without a plan, uh, can be a little bit dangerous. Um, oh yeah. And not to mention, especially like if you are in a very conservative situation, uh, or maybe you're still a teen who's a part, like who's still, live under your parents' roof and with your parents' resources and they, they're paying for school. Like, that's a, that's a very real concern and a very real game that a lot of us have to play. Yeah, I've got a ton of compassion for, you know, guys and girls who come out when they're younger and they're still connected with their parents, you know. Mm. I was extremely intentional with how and when I came out. Um, I actually think it was very fear-driven in a lot of ways, and I'm somewhat regretful for that. But I did. I waited to a point in life where I had a certain level of, of independence. There were not strings, you know, attached to you know a lot of different things, and so I was able to do that. But I think you're exactly right. It's not a decision to be taken lightly. Take as much time as you need. Do it in the way that you feel comfortable. And, and I'm also a believer. I know we glamorize the coming out process, but for some people, there's no rush. Oh, yeah. It's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. For me, I didn't want to come out at 25, 28, 30, you know. And I think it was actually super healthy for me, you know. Yeah. Um, again, if you're in a good community, if you're surrounded by good people um, who, are, who are supportive. Now, I do think everybody needs a person or a small group of people to be honest with. Yes. You know, you need to be out to somebody. I'm a big believer in that. Um, but the shout it's from the rooftops kind of thing, I'm just, you know. It's not everybody's thing. Like, it's I, not. 100%. I have so many friends from college who, when they came out, you know how I knew they came out? Saw them with a picture of their boyfriend on Facebook. That was it. I was like, oh, such and such totally. finally came out. Great. Yeah. But it wasn't like me where, like, I wrote a blog post and, like, it be- I became, like, the scandal of the missions world. Right. Um, but, like, and but not everyone has to be me because, like, totally. I don't want you to be me. I want you to do you. Yeah. So, like, I had, a, I had a talk with a friend the other day who's, like, at the beginning of his own, like, uh, reevaluation of his, you know, ideas around sexual orientation. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to post it online. He was like, you don't have to. He's like, oh. I'm like, if you want to, if you want to post a picture, if you want to have a little post, great. But the thing is just, like, Every story is nuanced and different, and you, the tribe that you, the people that you are going to reach, are not the people mm-hmm. that I'm going to reach. Yeah, and how I do things is not how you should do things. Like, right? There's no formula for this. Yeah. There's some good principles to keep in mm-hmm. mind, but there are no formulas. There's no, there's no yeah. rules. Um, there's only what you and God decide together. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think coming out is this really sacred moment. Mm. It's different for everybody, but it's 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 the time in your life where, though you have presumed to be one thing, it's the time where you put your hand up and say, I'm not that thing you think I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's hard, you know? I mean, I've heard it said that, you know, the LGBT population is somewhere between 3 and 5% of the human race. So you go your life with a lot of people thinking you're part of that 95 to 97%. 
and coming out is that moment where you say, I'm not in this massive majority. Yeah. I'm in this tiny, vulnerable, in some ways persecuted minority. And that's a life-altering, ground-shifting moment. And so just mm-hmm. like you said, I'm a believer in do it at your own pace as you're comfortable and mm-hmm. do it in a way that feels safe and healthy and right for you because it's different. Um, I definitely know what's next. I can't talk about all of it right now. Hey, <laughs> secrets! Uh, we all have we all have ambition secrets, as I call them. So, um, yeah, no, you know, for me, I've had a lot of debate over is this story that I've kind of been pulled into slash jumped into is this a a temporary stop or is it sort of a permanent calling that I should always be speaking into this? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that. You know, being an LGBT advocate or super vocal is for everybody. I just don't, I don't believe that, you know, and, and sometimes I feel the pressure, you know, to be that from different people, but mm-hmm. everybody's calling is different in life. You know, a, a huge passion of mine is leadership, um, specifically in the business world, management. Um, I did that for many years. And so eventually want to be in a place where I'm, you know, speaking into some of that stuff. I resigned my position at a job I'd been at for 11 years in August of 2016. And so I've been pursuing uh, some stuff in consulting and writing. Um, so for me, it was kind of like before I'd begun that new chapter of life, I needed to own my own story. Come on. You know, like I'd spent the first quarter of my career. Again, if you graduate at 22 from college and then you retire at 65, you work 43 years. If you divide that into four quarters, it's 11 per. So 23 plus 11 is 34. So I'd worked uh, the first quarter of my career in the corporate world. Loved it. Worked for a fantastic company. Um, but really came to a point where I said, you know, Brett, now's the time to make a leap, to make a change, to transition. And if you're going to do that, don't you dare step into that next phase with this secret, you know, still hiding. And so for me, it became really important to sort of own that part of my story before stepping into the second part. So so the second phase is still sort of a work in progress, working on it. And um, TBD. TBD. <laughs> I'm going to edit out all that stuff in front of it and just say TBD. That's okay. <laughs> a long, long, long explanation. There's a cockroach on the wall. Like, what? Oh, oh, it's moving. I saw you looking at something. I'm horrified. Uh, and it's like... Yeah, that's kind of a nightmare. Oh, pest control. Jesus, be a pest control agent. Get in here and spray this thing. Send it back to hell. <laughs> it's a literal cockroach, people. It's the size... I mean, it's a standard size cockroach. Of a New York subway rat. That is... Untrue. Also, have you ever seen a New York subway rat? Like twice. Are they huge? Yeah. Ew. Yeah, like shoebox size. Oh, that's not. Totally, it's totally true. That's fucking disgusting. Ask a New Yorker. They'll tell you. That's not uh, I reject that. Um, do you got any fun advice? If you, if there is a queer human listening to this who is closeted or no, just okay. Let's go from this. People who are like queer people who are afraid to share their story but they know that they should. What do you say to them? What's that what's that piece of advice you give them? Um, number one, um, do it. I think it has a ton of value. You need to get there. It's a healthier way to live. Number two, do it at your own pace, as we've talked about. Um, number three, don't underestimate the value of vulnerability. Mm. Um, this is sort of a buzzword now. There's a lot of people teaching and talking about Brene it. Brown. Brene Brown is one of them. She's my girl. Um, but bottom line is most people are still scared to death to be vulnerable and to be real. And so you live your life 
everything you do and come in contact with is just shallow and surface level. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody comes along and actually sort of pulls back the curtain on all their junk, it's the most shocking and refreshing thing. I mean, I couldn't believe how many people messaged me you know, as I was telling the story, just thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your mm-hmm. vulnerability, yeah. which I've been blessed to live in a community where that's sort of the norm. I know a lot of people who we're very open with our struggles and our crap and all the baggage that we carry around. And so, um, but vulnerability is incredibly powerful and just know that, um, your story has a purpose. Um, it's like I said, it's sort of like a healing salve that people need. And so, um, if, and when you can get there, we're in a healthy place and you can tell it, just shout it from the rooftops, Mm -hmm. just go for it if you're able and, and make no apologies. Don't look back. Mm-hmm. Don't shy away. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. At the end of the day, you're accountable to God. Come on. And nobody else. And I think that's what okay. took me so long to figure out because I felt accountable to people I grew up with. I mm-hmm. felt accountable to the Christian subculture. I mm-hmm. felt accountable to the various theological systems that I had been, you know, mentored under. And so um, at the end of the day, I'm accountable to Christ. And to me, that's the most freeing thing in the world. And when you own, understand and own that, it gives you the freedom to be vulnerable. You have nothing to prove. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, and just go live your life and love the hell out of people, you know. <laughs> Ow! Come on. Did you read my, my, my workshop notes? Because that's exactly what I that it? about. Good, we're on the same page. I literally, so like in my workshop, I said, it was like, you are not responsible, you are not responsible for people's reactions to you telling Mm. the truth. Your responsibility is to tell the truth. Right. I said, you know what Jesus said about the truth? It's going to set you free. (laughs) 100%. That's really good. That's true. That's it. That's it. That's it. Another principle that I kind of followed through this process, similar to what you just said, you are not responsible for the emotions of others. Mm-hmm. It is, I think that concept, if you can grasp that and internalize that and live that every day, it's one of the most freeing things. Because mm-hmm. especially if you come from a background of um, abuse or trauma mm-hmm. where you were manipulated to think that it's your responsibility to make this person happy or that person happy mm-hmm. by j- jumping through these hoops, doing certain things. And we literally just become sort of automatons believing that. Mm-hmm. For me, I discovered that late in my 20s, a coworker just told me that phrase, Brett, you're not responsible for the emotions of others. Mm-hmm. And I applied that, you know, I applied that little truth into every area of life. Mm-hmm. I applied it at work. I applied it um, with, you know, this coming out process to say, I'm going to love people. I'm called to love people. I'm called to be, you know, pleasant, kind, tactful, whatever you want to call it, but I am absolutely not going to obsess about what so-and-so thinks and what if they get upset and what if they fly off the handle and how am I going to deal with it? It's not on me. It is just not on me. And so let them have a pity party. Let them you know, throw a fit, but I am not responsible for that. And so for me, that was one of the most freeing sort of principles to own yeah. throughout this process. And I think on top of that too, like I think you can take that same principle and apply it to God. Like we've been taught, like we have to do all these things. We have to make God, it pleases God when you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And it's like, God is already infinitely pleased with you. Mm-hmm. You are not responsible for keeping God happy. God is already happy. Yeah. God is already there and just like waiting for you to catch up with the thing that was like, I'm over here. Like stop trying to like make this thing or do this thing or be this kind of person when I really just want you to come over to here and be with me and do yeah. life with me and do the, th- do the same thing I'm doing. Yeah. Kevin, I think the foundation of bad theology 
is the idea that we have to please God mm-hmm. or that we can't. I mean, what you just said is it. I mean, I think that's, it's the foundation of all the bad theologies. You know, pick your bad theology, you know, whatever it is, that's the first uh, stepping stone is that it's our responsibility to make God happy. And so, you know, get your theology right first and believe the truth. That, like you said, God is already pleased. Then, you know, adopt that principle in your own life. So. Come on. It's so much easier than we've made it. So much easier. If a song could be president, we'd hum on election day. The gospel choir would start to sway, and we'd all have a part to play. The first lady would free her hips, pull a microphone to her lips, break our hearts. are listening to a recording by a band called Over the Rhine. The song is called If a Song Could Be President. And I just figured in light of the inauguration this weekend, we needed a little bit of a lighter touch. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's a great song. Go download it and have some fun with it because we all we're trying to survive, aren't we? Um, but anyways, yes, that was so much fun for me. So if you would like to, you can connect with Brett Trapp through his blog, bluebabiespink.com. And if you haven't, read it. It's so good. Share it with a friend. Share it with a parent. um, Share it with people who are walking through the same thing and need a big old Me Too moment. Um, And if you don't want to read, because reading is just not your thing, Brett is actually going to be releasing the audio version of Blue Babies Pink on a podcast. So be sure to be on the lookout for Blue Babies Pink on the iTunes store or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Additionally, you can connect with him on Twitter and Instagram at Brett Trapp. That's B-R-E-T-T-T-R-A-P-P. So that's B-R-E-T-T-T-A-P-P. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know if that was a jingle, but you're welcome, Brett. Um, and if all that shit that we just talked about wasn't cool enough, Brett is actually going on a bookless tour. And yes, you heard me right, a bookless tour. Because the man hasn't written a book. I mean, the, the blog is practically as long as a book. But... He's going on a bookless tour. Um, a few weeks ago, Brett put up a challenge to his followers and readers to raise 10K for Beloved Atlanta, a group who is working to fight sex trafficking in our fine city. And as a result, he actually raised over that. I believe it's like something around $13,000 for Beloved Atlanta. And the top five cities who fundraised, they're getting a visit from good old Brett Trapp. So he's going to be on the road from January 22nd through February 1st in D.C., Chicago, Florence, and Birmingham, Alabama, as well as right here in the good old ATL. So be sure to check out that information at bluebabiespink.com slash tour. And Brett, thank you for sitting down with me. That was so much fun. If a song could be president, we could all add another. Verse.
Conversations like that are things that change the world. And stories like that set other people free to tell their own. So if you love stories like this, you're going to love what's coming in 2017 on my blog, the podcast, and my book. Yes, I am in the process of finishing up my book. The manuscript is going to get edited, and I don't know how we're going to be doing publishing quite yet, whether we're going to go a traditional route or whether I'm just going to feel the need to self-publish and just get this thing out there. But here's the deal. To make this work possible... It does take money. And while I love to do the podcast and blog and writing and whatnot, and while I do see this as my ministry, it does cost money to keep things running. It does take time and energy to write the scripts for these shows, to find the guests, to sit down, Skype with them, record things, edit things, and so on and so forth. Uh, And right now, I don't have any sponsors for this show. I rely solely on the support of amazing humans like you who are contributing and making this work possible. So if this episode or anything I've done has helped you out, has touched you, has given you language for something that you've been thinking about for a long time, has challenged your perspective on the way we talk about God or life or whatever, I would love for you to consider becoming a part of this work by becoming a patron through Patreon to share some of the financial burden of this podcast, you know, the time it takes to create the content, all that good stuff. For me, this is my passion. This is what I want to do full-time. And until I'm able to figure out a way to make this into my full-time gig and be able to support all the creative things I'm making, I do need your help, my friends. And I do know that when we, when I have more financial income, I am able to focus more on this and not have to work for the restaurant that I work at. I won't have to side hustle as much with creating you know, many products or doing social media management for a bunch of other companies. I would love to be able to focus solely on creating safer spaces for LGBTQ people and fostering conversations around LGBT inclusion and affirmation in the Christian church. So if you would like to become a part of that, if you would like to contribute to the process of creating bigger, better things to help people find their voice and be set free to tell their stories, you should you should give financially. I'm just going to put it out there. Like, I need your help. I cannot do this alone. 
And honestly, if you are listening to this podcast, you're also probably the kind of person who doesn't mind spending $10 at Chipotle for a burrito, who probably doesn't mind spending, you know, the upwards of 5 or $6 on their coffee. And granted, I'm that person too. So if you can afford to give $5 to a coffee shop, you know, six times a week, honestly, I believe that you could also afford to give to the creatives who are helping make the world a better place. And so even if it's not me, if it's someone else that you really enjoy, I encourage you give to the creatives in your life that are doing stuff. Cause a lot of us are hustling out here for free and we'd really, we really need your support to help creative endeavors like this and endeavors that are frankly helping change people's lives and shape the conversation. So again, um, I won't browbeat you about this, um, but I do need your help. And I would love to have it. So if you want information about that, go over to thekevingarcia.com slash support. And this coming week, I'm actually going to be relaunching all of the rewards to make it easier for me to help fulfill the promises to you guys for being a patron through Patreon. And it's going to be easier for you to become a part of this awesome process. Thank you so much for your support. And I can't wait to be working with you in 2017. Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, where a collective of creatives sounding off on things that matter. Whether it's uh, talking about sexuality, whether it's talking about the you know progressive theology, whether it's talking about movies, we've got a podcast that's probably going to be able to speak to you. So head on over to bedlampodcast.com to see our full lineup of shows and be sure to check out the latest episode of The Trust Fall with Anthony Garcia. It is a doozy. He's talking about the timelessness and time-boundness of scripture. And man, is it delicious, you guys. Um, It's the kind of crap that I sink my teeth into. So if you like me, you're definitely going to love that episode. You can check that out on the iTunes store or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, that's it. I'm done talking. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 20 of A Tiny Revolution. Again, connect with Brett Trapp over on The Stuff. Go check out the Bookless Tour. And you can also connect with me through social media at the Kevin Garcia on Twitter, the Kevin Garcia on Instagram, facebook.com slash kevin.garcia. I think that's everything. And if you haven't already subscribed over at the blog, you can do that by going to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe and you'll get my ebook for free. And who doesn't love free? Um, People who are suspicious of free things, probably. But anyways, uh, go check that out. I think I am done talking now. Yeah, I'm done talking. Anyways, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia. And remember, I love you. I love you so much. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, know that you are so loved. I'll talk to you next week, okay? Bye now. Mwah! Jesus, be a pest control agent. Get in here and spray this thing. Send it back to hell.